Let's go to the Lord in prayer at this time. Father, we come before you today recognizing that you are the only thing that could ever satisfy our souls. We come before you today recognizing that in a world filled with disunity, that we find peace and we find unity within you. Lord, I pray that you would allow your Holy Spirit to have your way not only over this group of people, but in our nation. We are a nation today that is filled with divide. Bring us together as one. I pray that you would send revival to our hearts, that lives would be changed, that those inside the body of Christ and those outside the body of Christ would come to know you in such a way that they would have no other recourse except to basically allow you to change who they are. Lord, I do pray for the problem of racism that does exist. I pray for the division that exists, not just between races, but political parties. I pray for the division that exists between social and economic standards. I pray that you would make us one as the body of Christ. Lord, I think today of the early church, how they shared everything, and they were one. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have the same generous hearts toward those who are broken around us. I pray today that you would be with each one who is here today. There are some that are dealing with some physical ailments, and they are not here. And we thank you that they've chosen to stay home in the midst of sickness. I pray that you would touch them and be be able to bring them back as quickly as possible. I pray that you'd be with those who right now are preparing for surgery. I think of Michael this morning. Pray that you would just uh, touch his body as he goes into surgery, be with the doctors and nurses. I pray that your hand would be upon them and everything would go smoothly and that he would be able to look back in probably a few weeks and be able to just simply be grateful that you had been with him throughout this time. Lord, I pray today that you would more than anything awaken our hearts to our need for you. Thank you for the many ways you provide for us every day, whether you provide for us physically, financially. Thank you for putting us in a a nation where we have such incredible freedoms and blessings. Lord, I pray today that you never allow us to become ungrateful for those things. I pray today that your spirit would move in us and make us the people that we ought to be. Lord, may you be honored. I pray that you would help us today to sense your presence. And we'll give you praise for what you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And normally at this time, I would say, and the ushers will come at this time and receive your morning tithes and offering. Uh, We are not passing an offering plate right now. Those of you who are with us last week, you already know this, but I just want to share with everyone, we are not passing an offering plate right now. And the reason being is we are actually uh, trying to limit the number of touches that you might have with different services. If we pass that offering plate, every single individual touches it as it goes by, which means that if there is the risk that the virus might be spread in that way, we're actually making you more vulnerable. So instead, what we're doing is as you leave today, uh, I want to encourage you, there are white buckets by the door that individuals will be holding, and we're just asking people to put their offering in at that time. Uh, You don't actually have to touch the bucket. They're big enough where it's just all you do is you put your money over top of it, And you drop it. It's amazing the way it works. So that is the plan, and we are uh, just trying to do whatever we can to still be able to 
worship and do the things that the church does. So thank you again for being here as a part of our service today. I'm going to ask you to do something here, and, and I, need, I need you to understand you'll probably never hear your pastor say this to you again. I'm going to talk about generosity here in just a few moments, and obviously generosity is an important part of the church, but I need you to understand that this is not because church finances are in a bad place. Actually, the church is in a good place, and it's primarily because you as the body of Christ have been faithful throughout this time of a coronavirus crisis. In fact, I think that in some ways we, co- we came out through this crisis better than probably most churches simply because you as the body of Christ, you, you were doing what you're supposed to do. So thank you for that. And this is where the request that I'm about to make is very unique. It doesn't mean you don't have to give an offering at the end. But this is what I will say. Whatever you were already planning on giving this morning, I encourage you to give it. But don't give extra just because Pastor talked about generosity this morning. I want you to develop a generous heart that is not just a one-time thing where we simply respond because someone told me I need to respond. Instead, I want us to be a people that have a heart for God that says, I'll do whatever it takes to help my brother, my sister, to be able to care for the people around us. Let me begin today by pointing out that Trinity Wesleyan Church is very much in a good place. This is not a okay, we're desperate, we need you to give this Sunday kind of message. In fact, I almost changed the sermon topic for this week. When I realized I was talking about generosity, I thought, now the church is doing a good job with generosity. And then I got to thinking about it, I thought, no. Because the Lord laid this on my heart back in January, back before I knew where we would be. But I do believe that we need to develop this generous heart. Let me ask you, as we talk about generosity and we talk about greed, those two topics, which one do you think would honor God most? Now, that's a dumb question. You guys know the answer to it. I saw a beautiful thing the other day while standing in line at Walmart, and that's a good thing when you can see a beautiful thing while standing in line at Walmart. The lady, two people in front of me, because there were only two lines open, was paying with cash. And everything was rung up, and she realized that she didn't have enough money to buy meat for her family. So she began to take the meat out of her bag, it had already been bagged up for her, and to put it back in her basket. The lady directly behind her asked what she was doing, and she explained the situation. The lady interrupted her, and she said, oh no, put it back in the bag, I'll make up the difference. It is this type of selfless generosity that should identify the body of Christ as we see the needs of others and immediately consider how we can meet that need, recognizing we can't meet every need. We would love to be able to meet every need. I wish that every time a need was presented to the church, we were able to meet that need. But we must always be considering how could God use me Not just the church organization. Remember we talked earlier, you are the church, we are the church. Not just the organization, but the people. We need to be asking ourselves, God, how can you use me to meet the needs of others? In fact, in the past, as I have done financial counseling, primarily with uh, young couples seeking to get married, 
I've often heard things like, I wish I could be generous like that. And I believe that most people here today would likely echo those sentiments. Well, I want you to know that you can be generous like that. You just have to plan for it. That's all it is. If you'll remember last week, I started a series entitled The Monster in Me. The focus is addressing things that don't belong in our lives. I said I started it last week, actually the week before Colby did, and he did a great job with that, so I don't want to diminish that. These monsters can defeat us. They make us a poor reflection of who Christ is in us. The key passage for this series is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5, and you can turn to it if you want, but I'm going to read it to you, and it's going to be relatively quick. This is what it says, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, and conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Last week, I focused on the need for all believers to reintroduce ourselves to personal discipleship, to the power of God, not just having a form of godliness, but actually having the power of God alive within our lives and the holiness of God, not just this form of godliness. This week, I want us to focus on the internal monster of greed and selfishness, which actually shows up on this list in multiple ways. It's not just one time. Look at verse 2 once more. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. What if I told you that all of these are in some way associated with the monster of greed and selfishness? Every single one of those on that list. I get it. The lovers of money one is obviously greed. But at the root of each of these other items, we see the monster of greed. Think about it for a minute. One who is a lover of themselves, proud or boastful. Is likely one who thinks that they deserve better than other people. I'm beautiful. I'm smart. I'm intelligent and influential. I deserve prosperity and blessing. Sure, they may not say it in such blatant arrogance, but the sentiment is there. I will also add that these are the same things that are at the core of the monster of racism that has been really dominating our society over the past several weeks. The only difference is that the defining factor is ethnicity, spoken language, or the color of one's skin. It's interesting how these same characteristics seem to overflow into multiple areas of sin. 
It's not as if these things are isolated and they only happen in one area, but often these monsters, these things that we see described here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, they repeat themselves. We see them showing up in many different areas where we allow monsters of sin to exist in our lives. Even with abusive, ungrateful, and unholy, we still see the same idea. It is a disregard for the welfare of other people while not appreciating the fact that we have received things much, much better than we deserve. And if you live in the United States, you have already received much, much better than most people in the world. In 1994, an article written in Evangelicals Now accurately stated that Greed is the logical result of the belief that there is no life after death. We grab what we can, while we can, however we can, and then hold on to it hard. That sounds about right. It's all about me, and it's all about now. Now, there are Many biblical examples of individuals who would be identified by either their generosity or their greed. You have those who generously sent financial support to help the Apostle Paul in his ministry. Or you have a woman who gave everything she had. We would often refer to her her story as the, the widow's might. She gave not out of her excess, but she gave out of her need. In the Old Testament, we picture the widow who generously provided meals to Elijah during a severe famine, even though it potentially put her at a greater risk of starvation for herself and her son. On the flip side of this equation, we also have in the Old Testament a man like Achan who selfishly took for himself, even though his greed cost the lives of several of his Israelite brothers. You know, in each of these situations, it's pretty easy to identify whether we're looking at generosity or we're looking at greed. It's all about me or it's all about helping other people. Well, I want us to look at a situation that may not be as cut and dry this morning. It may not be quite as obvious. Acts 5, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, you can. We'll be in verses 1 through 11. It tells the story of a couple that seemed to be quite generous. They seemed to be doing something that other people would look at and say, wow, that is so nice. I can't believe you would do such a generous act. But as we dig deeper, we find that appearances may not be what we thought they were. Look at it with me. Acts 5, verses 1 through 11. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. 
Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the man who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Let me begin by saying I am so glad God does not judge the way he did in that story often. It would seem that this would not be a very popular place to be on Sunday morning to begin with. And even if it was, our crowd would be thin because unfortunately there have been many times that each of us have probably not had as much integrity with God as we should have had. These are the early days of the church. Just a few chapters earlier, the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, and we're not yet to the point of early church persecution. This is still brand new. It's fresh for the church. In fact, about a month ago, I taught from Acts chapter 7, where Stephen is stoned to death, and that's where we see really the persecution begin, beginning this mass persecution of all those who bore the name of Christ. So here we find the early church enjoying the infancy of this new faith. And in chapter 4, just before we got here, we see that a family environment has already begun to develop within the church. And they understand the responsibility of family taking care of family. In fact, we read in Acts 4, 32-37, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerful at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Again, we see incredible sense of family and generosity alive within this group. There's no thought of me getting my fair share as God's grace and power continues to be poured out. The common response by all of the people seems to be generosity. No one claiming any possession as their own and even giving in a generous way, in a sacrificial way. This is all about taking care of the people that you love. But I also want you to realize something very important. The earliest church was made up of people from many different ethnic backgrounds. Remember on the day of Pentecost, we just talked about it in Acts chapter 2, there were people present from many different lands. And when the Holy Spirit is poured out, everybody comes out to see this thing that is taking place. And as they come out, Peter and the rest of the disciples begin to speak in their own language, but other people understood them in their own language. And we talk about that as the gift of tongues, but what this points out 
is the early church was not made up of a bunch of people who all looked the same and acted the same and spoke the same. The early church was actually very, very diverse. These are the same people that the rest of the church would be sharing with here, the people that they love. And there's one more thing that I want you to catch from that passage in Acts 4. Notice the man who sold his property. His name is Joseph, but he is better known as Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. This is important because Barnabas would become an incredibly important figure later in the book of Acts. And what that tells us is that this act speaks volumes to the early church. His generosity is very much appreciated. Keep that in mind as we move back to our passage now in Acts chapter 5, where we have Ananias and Sapphira, and they appear intent on doing something very similar to what Barnabas has done. And while they do seem quite generous, it is more likely that they had an alternative motive. I would, it would seem that they wanted to be honored similar to the way they saw Barnabas honored. But know this, my honor is not more important than God's glory. Now you're going to notice that everything that I share today, if you have your bulletins in the, the little note section, I have the word not in parentheses. And the reason is because we live in a world that has often removed the word not. We live in a world that tells us that my honor is more important than God's glory. It's all about me getting credit for what I've done. It's all about me being recognized and celebrated for who I am. But the truth is, my honor is not more important than God's glory. You see, as children of God, when we act generously, one of two things will happen. Either you will make sure that you get the credit you think you deserve, or you'll make sure that God gets the credit that he deserves. In Barnabas's case, it would seem that both occur. He is respected, he is appreciated for what he's done. But more importantly, God is the one who receives the glory as all the needs of his people are being met. God is providing for his people through his people. Praise the Lord for that. But Ananias and Sapphira seem to have missed this principle. This isn't about meeting needs so much as it is about being recognized. One of our church members came to me this week. He's been trying to reach out to a retired veteran who is in a bad way. He wants to share Christ with him to point him to Jesus. He's hurting physically, financially, spiritually, and socially. So the church member wanted to do something to help, but he didn't have the financial resources to do it at that time. So together, we went to the store to buy some basic necessities for that veteran. Then I instructed him not to tell this individual that it came from the church. You say, why wouldn't you want him to know that it came from the church? We do the same thing at Christmas time. Often we'll take families that are in need, and instead of the church receiving glory for it, what we do is we talk to the parents and the parents alone. 
And we have the parents come and they take the presents that have been collected and they wrap them and they get to give them to their kids. And what happens is on Christmas morning, those parents look like heroes to their kids. Who cares if the church gets credit for it? We want God to receive credit. We want him to be praised in the midst of it. I will tell you that this individual this week has already expressed his appreciation for the acts of generosity. And I look forward to seeing how God uses that to change this man's life, not just for today, but in eternity. But another thing to think about with our passage today is my comfort is also not more important than God's call. Remember, sometimes we take the word not out. We're not supposed to. This comes from the idea that maybe this wasn't just about them receiving recognition. Maybe there was something else that was going on here in their minds. One possibility is that this couple felt clearly called by God to an act of generosity. Perhaps God had instructed them to sell this piece of property to help meet the needs of people in the church. I know there have been times that God has clearly called me to an act of generosity. At times, it would include helping a person on the street or supporting a missionary cause or ministries within the local church. But there's no question, it was definitely God who called me to that act. And if I choose not to obey that act, that is sin. It's the sin of omission, not doing the thing that God called you to do. Well, there's no reason to assume that God wouldn't call them to sell their property. But I kind of picture this couple suddenly realizing what they could personally do with this sum of money. They sell the property just as they were called to do. And although the plan all along was to give the entire proceeds to the church, now they're not sure that this is really necessary. Imagine for a moment that they received $100,000 for the property. I know that money was different and the numbers would have been different, but for our understanding, imagine that they received $100,000 for the property. What if we just gave $80,000? The church would still benefit and we would benefit too. Our life would certainly be more comfortable if we kept the other 20,000 to ourselves, then the church will still be okay. The primary problem here is that if God called you to do one thing, his intent was not for you to find something similar that would possibly benefit you a little bit better. He called you to obedience. And let me suggest that such a scenario would reveal a lordship problem as well. And Ananias and Sapphira, they think that they are in charge, not God. God had this plan, but I like this plan a little bit better. Do you see a problem? Of course, the other principle that cannot be ignored is that the resources at their disposal were given to them by God. I've seen some incredibly hardworking, intelligent people who seem to give everything that they have to their jobs, yet they can never get the break that they need. Then I've seen others that seem 
less qualified, who seem to have everything just fall into their laps. <laughs> but pastor, I've worked hard to have the things that I have. Others have worked hard too. Why is it that you get the prosperity and they don't? In the parable of the talents, we see that God is the one who grants us all that we have. That means that this property which belonged to Ananias and Sapphira was given to them by God, perhaps for this specific purpose to be used to meet the needs of those who are part of the body of Christ. And at the heart of all of this is greed. The story is told of Leona Hemsley. She was one of the wealthiest women in the world, owning a string of hotels and even the Empire State Building. She was a billionaire. Yet in September 1989, Leona Hemsley was convicted of 33 counts of tax evasion. A billionaire, why do you need to cheat on your taxes? For which she spent time in prison. According to Time Magazine, she emerged as a penny-pinching tyrant who tried to stiff just about everybody. No amount of money was too small to fight over. In fact, after the sudden death of her only son at the age of 40 in 1982, she sued his estate and won the lion's share of the estate, $149,000. Remember, she's a billionaire. Who cares about $149,000? Leaving his four children with $432 each, and his widow with $2,171. When greed is what drives you, you never have enough. I do wonder if any of us has ever experienced this. Has God given generously to you, expecting you to use it for good. Perhaps God is calling you to invest in our children's or our youth ministry. Perhaps he is calling you to invest in a short-term mission trip. We have an individual who's going to be going from the church in July to Costa Rica. Maybe God is calling you to invest in that, to support it. Perhaps he's calling you to help us invest in some local economic recovery that's coming out of this coronavirus crisis. Don't walk around in regret thinking, I wish I would have responded to God's call. Well, there's one more thing that I want you to see today, and it's this. My story is not more important than God's truth. As we look at the passage, Ananias and Sapphira already had a plan. We know that because when Sapphira walks in, Later in the day, she is able to identify the price that they had agreed on. This was not some random act. They had thought through this. They had planned it out. They knew exactly what they were going to keep. They knew exactly what they were going to give. And they had their story down pat. But my story is never as important as God's truth. My guess is that Ananias and Sapphira probably weren't all that familiar with the story of Achan that I referenced earlier. You see, Achan decided after God had instructed his people that when you go in to take the city of Jericho, you are not to take any of it for yourself. 
Everything belongs to the Lord. It is the only time God would instruct the people of Israel in that way. It was kind of their first fruits, giving to God first. But Achan decided, you know what, I see this gold and this silver and this bronze. And I see these purple cloths that are very valuable. And I could really get kind of a jump start on everybody else if I kept this for myself. So he goes and he hides in his tent. Well, they go into battle and the next day, and it might have been a couple days later. It doesn't actually tell the amount of time that passes. But they go into battle against a small nation called Ai. And 36 Israelites are killed. The Israelites never died in battle. Seems like they always won and nobody ever got hurt. And it seemed to almost be unfair. But on this day, the Israelites get their tails kicked. Immediately, they know something's wrong. They cry out to the Lord. They think he's abandoned them. They think he's broken his promise to them. And God says, quit blaming me. I'm not the one who broke my promise. Someone among the Israelites has disregarded what I said. They have robbed God. He said, call all the Israelites together, and I'll show you which one it is. Understand that Achan probably recognized pretty quickly that it was his sin that caused people to die. Joshua even explains it to him. He says, someone has sinned. That's why God allowed us to be defeated. He explains what's happening. He says, so God's going to show us who it was. Achan remained silent the entire time. Doesn't say anything. Maybe he's hoping someone else will get in trouble. He doesn't want to take the blame for it. Let someone else do it. Maybe there was someone else that robbed God too. Maybe they'll get in trouble and not me. And he is content with trying to deceive God. But God very quickly begins to divide out the people of Israel from each of the different tribes to each of the clans to each of the families to one man. And suddenly Achan is standing before Joshua. It's interesting the phrase Joshua uses, give glory to God. Tell me what you've done. See, the whole purpose of this was to bring glory to the Lord's name, and Joshua knew it. Tell me what you've done. He tells them where the gold and the silver and bronze had been held. You know what happens to Achan? He's killed. I'm guessing Ananias and Sapphira probably weren't familiar with that story. Because here they are, they're trying to rob God. And as they try to rob God, they have the same consequence that awaits them. Let me just say that each of us has a story, but it is the truth of God that we cannot change. Your story may seem really good to you, and you may be able to justify in your mind all the things that you do, the actions that you display, the attitudes you display, the words that come from your mouth, and you may be able to look at your background, but you don't, you don't understand the places that I've been and where I've come from. You don't understand what I've had to deal with. My story is not more important than God's truth. He knows the whole story. He knows where the brokenness comes from, but he also knows that there is one place where we can find hope and healing, and it is in him. Let me suggest to you today that as we talk about generosity, it is not just in finances. 
There are many ways that we can show ourselves to be generous. The way we love on other people, the way we reach out to those who are broken around us, it is an opportunity for us to pour into them, to give of ourselves. That's generosity. It may not be money. It may be in the way you love. It may be in the way you serve. It may be in the things that you say. Generosity is huge. Generosity brings honor and glory to the name of Jesus Christ. Maybe today someone in here needs to begin to live a generous life. Maybe it is financial. Maybe it's one of those many other things. Whatever it is, would you rather walk around defeated knowing that you should have done what God called you to do? Would you rather walk around in victory knowing that what you did made a difference for the name of Jesus Christ? If you will bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you today, we are grateful for all that you have done. We're grateful for your act of generosity to us. As we do not deserve your love and grace, you have poured it out to us anyways, knowing that what you did cost you significantly. Thank you. I pray now that you would equip us, empower us to be your hands and feet, to be generous, not greedy, but to give of ourselves. Not because the pastor tells us we have to, but because we know it's what you desire. And because we know that in doing so, we will bring honor to your name. Use our generosity to change the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.